The Toronto Maple Leafs were, uh, according to some, one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League and now one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. And I'm sure that will fluctuate time and time again. Uh, here to help us try to make sense of the NHL's most famous team is Chris Johnston of Every Hockey Place Ever, uh, TSN, the Chris Johnston Show of the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, and the Toronto Star. Uh, CJ, you crushed it in free agency, sir. How are you today? Uh, yeah, sometimes you got to be a volume shooter, Peter. So I've gone for, uh, I've gone for vo volume over, you know, I, I don't know. You, jack of all trades, master of none. Let's call it that. <laughs> uh, well, I'm neither of those things. So I, I appreciate the hustle, sir. Um, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs just a, a couple of weeks ago were, um, the, the, there was real panic. They were losing to bad teams and now they've won a bunch and are beating good teams. Was this always going to turn around? Has something changed? What the hell is going on with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now? It's amazing. You know, when we first talked about doing this pod, you know, I think that they were in free fall and, you know, eight days pass and they win five in a row. So, <laughs> you know, I think that that tells us a little bit about the league in general, certainly any hot hockey market like this one where, you know, people, you know, ride highs and, and, you know, hit some lows with the team. I think that that's part of it. I mean, look, I, I do think that it was clear to us that they were better than their start, but there was real worry there. You know, they lost the game seven to one to the Pittsburgh Penguins without Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Brian Rust uh, through a variety of ailments and a COVID issue that team was dealing with. You know, they, they got beaten pretty soundly in Carolina. Now I happen to think the Hurricanes are one of the teams with the legitimate Stanley Cup ambitions at this point in time. So maybe there's no shame in that, but you know, they, they were in a tough spot and all of a sudden their, their top players have gotten hot. And so as we're recording this kind of a strange stat, but their last 13 goals have been signed by their top four forwards. Uh, you know, Marner, Matthews, Tavares and Nylander are, are putting a lot of pucks in the net. And as a result, you know, the team's having a lot more success. Well, and that, that is how this team is built, right? Like as, as those guys go, that this team is going to go when we get to the playoffs, it's not going to be, Hey, what third or fourth line guy is going to propel Toronto to victory. Um, but is it concerning that it's been this lopsided for, for this hot stretch? Um, maybe a little bit, uh, but, you know, early in the year, you know, Jason Spezza had produced some offense from the bottom six. Like they, they did have some guys down there that, that could, that were giving them a little bit of push. You know, I, I don't know that there's big concern in that. Cause as you say, like, look at the whole, this is the whole equation, right? They have half the salary cap tied up in four forwards. So just by the nature of that, those guys have to carry at least half of the team. Like it, it's, it's actually that simple of an equation. And so of course you want to get in a playoffs and you need maybe a fourth liner to score a big goal to get you through a game. Uh, and, and certainly you need a team defensive effort and you need good goaltending and all those things to have a long run, but ultimately what abandoned the Leafs most in their first round loss to Montreal in May was the fact that, that, you know, Marner and Matthews in particular went, went cold or quiet you know, Tavares got injured, unfortunately, in the first game and wasn't available for the rest of the series. You know, Nylander had a good series, but they didn't have enough of those guys producing to get through. And so, you know, I, I think that they, they've built a pretty, you know, good team top to bottom, like in the third and fourth lines to me, I don't have an issue with. I mean, their third line is an all defense line, essentially, you know, David Camp on there, Pierre Engvall, they've done a good job of, of eating up the, the D zone faceoffs, not getting scored on, like basically you know, having not much happen at either end when, when they're on the ice, you know, the fourth line does get a little bit offensive pop from Spezza from time to time. Wayne Simmons has actually looked pretty good early in the year from their fourth line. So I think you're okay there, but there's no mystery here. You know, if, right. if these guys ever have a long playoff run, I guarantee you, 
it's because some version of Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares will, will have had great springs. And if those guys don't produce again, well, it's going to be another quick exit. It is funny to think about it in that way where it's half of their salary cap is scoring the goals. If that was the, the Canucks or I was going to say the Oilers, but that's probably a bad example. But if that was any other team, it'd be like, oh yeah, well like nine guys are scoring. That's fine. And with Toronto, this is kind of how they are built. And I, I understand where, where, where I live out here in Calgary, there is always a want for Toronto to do very poorly because it's hilarious. And it is. But I, I want the Leafs to succeed because that is how I would like to build a team. Like just get a bunch of very good players and then kind of fix everything else around it. Um, when we look at the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and obviously the, the playoff utility has been, again, hilarious, but is this, <laughs> is this something that can work? Is this a, a way that a team can be built and then hoist that big silver trophy at the end? You know, I've always been of the view that it can, but the problem is with each passing year, you're getting one more year's example where it didn't work. Right. Uh, and, and so I think it does, it's a natural question. I think it's a fair question. I don't think it's been answered, you know, anywhere because no, I, you know, I believe no team has won a playoff series with two players that make at least $10 million. The Leafs have three players that make at least $10 million. So they're, they're, they're built in a more lopsided manner than any team we've ever seen. That's endeavored to have this kind of success. Uh, you know, I think logically it should be able to work, you know, having the best players or more of the, the very top end players in any game, usually you would just think would tilt the odds in your favor, but it, it hasn't worked. And, and, you know, I think that there's some valid questions to be asked about, you know, maybe the way the game changes a little bit in the playoffs, you know, sometimes purely offensive players have a difficult time, you know, doing what they do there. You know, there, there tends to be fewer you know penalties called in those games, although the least power play strangely for, for the top end high, paid talent they have has not been as dangerous as you would expect it to be the last year or two. Um, you know, that that's really at the heart of what this experiment is in Toronto though. And Kyle Dubas believes in it. Like he is, he's seen the, the times it's failed. He's seen the criticism of his team building strategy. You know what he's also seen. And I think Peter, it's important to point out, like when he signed these contracts, the expectation was the cap would keep going up and up the way it had for years. I mean, no one saw the pandemic coming, but with the pandemic, it's essentially going to keep the cat flat. It's going to go up by a million dollars each of the next few seasons, but for the, the remainder of these contracts. And so, you know, the Leafs are always planning on, you know, they're planning on a 90 or $95 million cap coming around before the end of these deals for Matthews and Marner. And that's just not going to happen now because of the, the finances after the pandemic. So it's actually had to change a little bit the way this will work. And, you know, I, I do think that there's a world where the Leafs will go away from this, where they'll trade one of these guys. Uh, but certainly not before the end of this season. They're going to get at least one more full run where, where half the money is being eaten up by four players. Those players are still predominantly in their prime, especially Nylander, Marner, Matthews age-wise. And, and, you know, if it doesn't work, then, you know, they got some big chips to play and ways to, I think, re reshuffle the deck and still have, you know, a contending team in the next couple of years. Yeah, they are endlessly fascinating to me. And one of the decisions that that fascinated me and now it's kind of a broader view, I get it's a, as we're taping this, it's a game day for the Leafs. Um, but from a, a broader perspective, I thought it was interesting that we all just as a, a hockey community, it wasn't even just Toronto, we all just decided Freddie Anderson sucked and Jack Campbell was, was the, the guy to take over. He has an important game again, as we're taping this on Monday against the, the LA Kings tonight. How has the, the goalie switch in Toronto worked out so far? It's actually been seamless only because Jack Campbell continues to start to make a case that maybe he can be a number one goal in the NHL. I mean, I'm not prepared to say he is that yet or, or that he should be trusted full stop, you know, just like no, no one questioning it. 
Right. But, you know, he was pretty damn good last year. Uh, and you can wonder, hey, was that a fluke? I mean, we see goaltenders all the time have, you know, statistically amazing years and then some statistic outlying terrible years. And you, you wonder where the truth is sometimes. But the fact that Jack Campbell at least has started it up in the first 10, 11, 12 games of this season, you know, he's in a 932, give or take his save percentage. I mean, he, he's, he's carrying the mail. And, and, you know, the longer you see that sample size build, you, you feel confident there. Uh, you know, I think Frederick Anderson his own sort of case. I mean, what, what happened to him in my eyes is, look, he signed a five-year deal when he came to Toronto, $25 million. You know, the expectation, of course, when you're getting that kind of money as a goaltender, sort of like Markstrom in Calgary or you know, a number of others out there, is you, you got to play a lot of games. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of part of the business now. But I think Frederick Anderson shouldered too much of a load in the first parts of his, his time in Toronto. He then got injured, uh, you know, especially last season. But even his second last year was a leave. You know, dealt with some some knee and groin related issues. You know, basically overuse type injuries that goaltenders frequently get, and you know he didn't get a chance to be himself. And so, because he barely played last season, had a healthy off season. You know, he started off great in Carolina. Um, you know, it's it's really nice to see him bounce back. Frankly, I, I think he did get painted kind of unfairly because the reason he got injured is because they never had a proper backup for the first right. three years he was here, and and he had to play you know sixty five games in a league where there's just not many goalies doing that, and there's certainly there's not very many Stanley cup goalies when doing that in the regular season nowadays, if you see like a lot of the guys that are playing through and winning cups are, are in, in sort of 40 to 50 game type of rotations, you know, more tandem like situations generally. And so, you know, I think Anderson got overplayed and then maybe undervalued, uh, you know, he leaves town, the Leafs sign Peter Mrazek to, to do a tandem, to be part of a tandem with Jack Campbell. You know, now he's out till December. He's only played five periods this year. Um, you know, that's my concern for Campbell, actually, more than performance is just how he'll handle this kind of workload, because he seldom faced it prior to any time in his career. He certainly has never faced it as an NHL goaltender. And the Leafs don't have a bevy of options behind him. I mean, if 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 he gets injured or if he struggles, you know, they, they don't really have someone else to turn the keys over to. But if you're looking for the good news, part of that story is, you know, for basically the last 18 months, whenever he's played, he's played pretty good. Right. And, and the Leafs aren't necessarily just the, the way the division stacks up. You're not really in a spot where you can take a night off with a backup going and say, hey, if we win, we win. If we don't, whatever, because the, the, this division seems uber competitive this year. Sure. I mean, look at Tampa isn't fully Tampa again. Like, I think there's a natural emotional letdown after winning two cups in 11 months or whatever it was like. <laughs> like they, they won two cups quicker together than you could ever win them. Um, and so to come back and, and have to play another season and have lost you know, the whole, you know, line with, with goal, uh, Gord, uh, Coleman and Goodrow, of course, you know, like there's, there's a lot there, but there's still Tampa is the point. Right. Like even with Kucherov injured, there's still a Vasilevsky and Stamkos and point and Sorelli and Hedman. Like this is still a murderous team. You know, Boston's off to a curiously slow start. You know, I, I don't know if father time has come for the Bruins. It's too soon in the year for me to say that. But, you know, Florida is clearly on the rise. One of the, I think, the teams, again, I could see them competing for Stanley Cup if they keep t- trending in this direction. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm listing off, you know, and down the road, you know, Detroit is getting a little more competitive. Like, like this is, it won't be an automatic, you know, walk into the playoffs for the Leafs. And so I'm, I'm with you. They, they, their margin for error is slim at the goaltending position. You know, they can deal with some slumps that'll come maybe for certain top scores because they have other guys who can score, all that type of thing. But you know, this, this goaltending situation could become precarious if Campbell starts to struggle or if he gets injured because of, you know, they don't really have a good number twos that's solid behind him right now. 
Uh, elsewhere in the NHL, we talk about teams that have built juggernauts. Obviously, Tampa Bay was that and could still be that. Vegas is trying their damnedest as uh, Jack Eichel gets acquired in, in a blockbuster deal. Um, I, I know we, everyone talked about Jack Eichel until we were all blue in the face, but I guess your thoughts as uh, that trade finally became final. The, the Flames finished second in the dealing, and uh, Jack Eichel, whenever he is ready, is on his way to Vegas. Yeah, I love the move big picture for Vegas. I do wonder if it signals that this could be a, a one-year step back for that organization. I mean, they're dealing with all kinds of injuries right now. You know, unrelated to this trade, they're just down a lot of guys that can produce offense. Now that you've removed Alex Tuck as part of the deal and even Peyton Krebs, so I know he's a rookie. He wasn't producing at this stage, but, I mean, you're, you're removing NHL options from the short term, you know, that, that aren't going to be available to Pete DeBoer and his coaching staff there. And, you know, it's, it's obviously the Pacific outside of Edmonton and Calgary hasn't shown itself to be that scary yet. I, you know, some of the California teams are, are rebounding, but they're not, you know, I think they haven't reached contender status. So, and so, you know, Vegas might be able to limp through the season and still make the playoffs and then get Jack Eichel somewhere late in the regular season, what have you, whenever he's able to return from that neck surgery, but it also might go the other way. They might just not be able to stay entirely in this playoff race. I still think either way it was the right move to make at the right time. Um, the, the chance to get a 25 year old front of the line center, even if there's some risk attached, you know, with this surgery, I understand there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees in life. Anyway, there's no guarantees with any trade about how someone's going to perform once they join your team. You know, I would still bet on the talent that Jack Eichel has and, you know, the work that he and his team have done medically to, to get really comfortable with this procedure. He's going to have the artificial disc replacement procedure. So, you know, when you add it all together, I love, the move for the Golden Knights. I do think it's possible though. There's this like one short term step back this year. Like maybe they just never get healthy enough. They never get on a roll enough to make the playoffs. They still got four more years beyond this one though of Jack Eichel. And I think it's great for the league if he can come back and be healthy. And if so, I mean, that, that team is, is going to be stacked for, for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, they they turn scary good. And for, for a long time in hockey, we've heard that the, the best way and really the only way to build a team is is draft and develop. And obviously, they're coming at it from a different starting block than everyone else with just becoming a team a few years ago. But they um, they haven't had a whole lot of home runs in the draft, but they, they still have been an amazing franchise over the last little bit. Uh, of the people you've talked to, do, do, is there anyone in the NHL who's kind of like, you know, maybe there is another way other than bottom out, get a bunch of draft picks, hope some of them are awesome, and then we move up in that in that way? You know, I, I've actually had a guy I, that I talked to works for a team that, that's refused to bottom out, and he's he's been saying this for a couple of years. Like, like his point was always like, it's all well and good if you do, you know, the Leafs finished last in the league once. They won the lottery, which, you know, the, the odds are not stacked in your favor, even when you finished dead last. And they, they won the lottery in a year they got Austin Matthews, who scored four goals in his first NHL game. Like, that lined up pretty nicely. And, right. you know, they got Mitch Marner in the 2015 draft, you know, which, if you look back, is going to be one of these historically strong drafts. A player of Mitch Marner's status won't be available number four overall all the time. Like, the point is, a lot of things still had to go right for the Leafs in addition to them botting out. And so, you know, I think the team should think twice about it. Like, like, you know, I get what Arizona is doing this year, right? They have seven picks in the first two rounds. Uh, they've, you know, as we're recording this, they have one win. You know, they, they might win 12 games this year. Like, actually, I could see it. Uh, when you look at the roster, I still think they'll make more trades for draft picks. But even if they hit a bunch of home runs at the draft table, like how long is it before those, those players are ready to be true impact players? You know, there's, I guess there's no certainty to be found anywhere. And, 
you know, I, th I think whatever your strategy is, you should lean into it hard. And so that's why I at least respect what the Coyotes are doing, because this is, this is as pure a tank as we've ever seen. And it's, and they've done a really good job of maximizing their cap space, frankly, to, to get extra picks. Like they, you know, made the Kemper deal. Uh, they took on Andrew Ladd's contract, but got a couple picks for it. Like, you know, they, they made the deal with Vancouver, um, you know, and, and they, they end up getting a bunch of picks and, and some sort of unwanted contracts with all that. Like, like they're at least going all in on what they're doing. I, I think that that's the way to be. And, and Vegas is going all in on its strategy, right? Which is, you know, basically they've never had a young team. They, they've, they've made six first round draft picks in their history and they've traded four of them now with Peyton Krebs out the door. And, you know, these other two guys, one of them being Brendan Brisson, the, the, the son of Pat Brisson. I, I can't remember their, their first round or this, this past draft. But my point is they might trade those players at some point if it services their needs of the moment. And I think it makes sense because they have a core that that's clearly showed it can compete with the best in the league. I mean, Vegas has had a chance to win the cup every year of their four year existence. And, you know, why not, why not extend that out? Um, you know, the promise of a draft pick is always kind of, you know, fans love that. I mean, media people, we, we like to, to value it, but you know, most picks take five years before they're, they're ready. And right. all I know right now is teams like Vegas are winning games today. They're giving you a reason to watch if you're a fan and you just traded for Jack Eichel, like, yeah, you, you probably gave up something in Peyton Krabs. He's probably going to be a long-time NHL or, you know, you know what Alex Tuck is. There's another first-rounder in there. But, like, you get to watch Jack Eichel play on your team for the next four years. I mean, that's that to me is pretty exciting. And I do think we shouldn't just applaud everyone that does the tear-it-down rebuild because it's certainly not a guarantee for success. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page on this one because, yeah, you look at where Jack Eichel just came from. They got almost best case scenario, like best case scenario would have been Connor McDavid, but Jack Eichel is clearly nothing to sneeze at, sneeze at. generational top line center. And then they sucked again and got Rasmus Dahlin, the, this defenseman who can fly. Like you, you now have a foundation that everyone would have wanted and they still can't even sniff a playoff spot. Like I even I Sam Reinhardt second overall, right? right? Yeah, and he's exactly. doing really well in Florida, but like he's a player. Like I know he's not a superstar and they've had so many picks. They haven't played a playoff game. Like, I know I didn't have any gray in my beard when they last played a playoff <laughs> game. Like, it was a long friggin' time ago. Um, there's been a lot of mismanagement, development, all this thing. There's luck involved, too. Let's face it. Like, you've got to be good to be lucky, too, sometimes. Yeah. Maybe they didn't win the draft. Like, they could have won the McDavid lottery instead, and maybe it looks different. Although, you know, even Edmonton, like, they've been consistently a playoff team, but they're, you know, they got two of the best players in the world without question in Dreisaitl and McDavid, and they still haven't got on a long playoff run. I mean – there, there's no guarantees. And I do think when you have a good team, it's, it's not bad to be aggressive to try to make it a great team because you know, it's what, what you have is a little bit more certainty than what you might get with these draft picks. One team that has been kind of caught in that middle ground where they've kind of tried to be half pregnant for a while is the Calgary flames. Uh, the, the team that I have the, the most, I guess, experience talking about, they do finish second in this, the sweepstakes for Jack Eichel, which gets you nothing, but they, they were at least trying. Um, they're, they're off to a good start this season. I don't know if I'm buying it. Uh, well, what do you make of the Calgary flames so far this year and just where they're headed as a franchise in general? Well, it's funny. I picked them to win the North division last season uh, because I was so high on where I thought they'd be and, and, you know, getting, you know, Markstrom and, and, you know, I just thought that they, they looked like it and it didn't work. And then, so I got bit by them then. And so this year I just expected not much and, you know, it started really well. And, and you have to wonder how much of that is coaching, getting players to buy in. Obviously Johnny Goodrow's had a strong start to the year. You know, they, you know, it, that's a good team. I just don't know if it's a contender, honestly, like that's, right. that's what it comes down to for me. Like I, 
it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them continue and have a, a great regular season and, and, you know, pretty much march into the playoffs. And we've seen that before, right? It wasn't that long ago. They won the Western conference regular season title and, you know, lost in five games to Colorado. So, uh, you know, who does to me look more like a bona fide contender just with the way they're built from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, what I like about the Eichel uh, interest from Calgary is I think it shows management's minds in the right place. Like I, I think that ultimately they recognize they need to improve the core of this team, you know, at some point. And, and, yeah. you know, look at the, the kind of back to our previous discussion, Peter, there's only so many ways to do that, right? Like Eichel, a player like Eichel only comes available under exceptional circumstances like this neck injuries had. Um, and, and like, there won't be another Jack Eichel equivalent for years, probably that's, that's going to be traded in the NHL, like still in the prime of his career, who has the kind of upside and, and even just what you've seen of him, he's, he's scored at a 90 point pace in the past in the league. Um, you know, so they can't now go get that player that way. You know, they're certainly not going to be bad enough anytime soon. I wouldn't think where they're drafting first overall or anything like that. Right. And so it, it is going to be a quandary and, and obviously some big decisions coming, whether it's Johnny Goodrow's contract up as a UFA, you know, having to figure out what they, how they handle the Matthew Kachuk RFA situation, even Andrew Mangiapane, you know, as an RFA, you know, you're, you're signing him to a big raise. It's pretty fair to say if, if you're, if you're deciding to keep him and I, I certainly think they should, I'm not saying he's on the trade block, but you know, you have decisions on sort of these guys around your core now, and, and you're trying to figure out how to make the core better. And so I think it's actually, to me, they're one of the more fascinating teams from a national perspective, not just because you're, you're based in their backyard there about how they navigate these next few months. And, you know, I don't have a clear idea. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you gave Brad Tree Living a truth pill and had him on here too, he, he probably doesn't know exactly how this is going to play out, but I think that, that he was smart to be as in aggressively on Eichel as he was. And, you know, if, again, I, this, the problem is there's not an Eichel 2.0 that's going to come along, but right. I, I think they have to consider everything um, because they've gone pretty far down the road with sort of the Monaghan Goudreau, centerpieces of the team and, and you know they've only had the one year they got past the first round with those guys and they were really young then I'm not putting it all on their shoulders by any stretch but I think it's clear they got to find a way to get more talent around them or maybe consider changing those those pieces out and so you know I think that there's going to be some some fireworks in Calgary in the next 10 months I just don't know are we talking big resignings the monster deals maybe a trade or or maybe letting some of those guys go and going a different direction with the not having another Eichel for a while, um, we've seen that this trend kind of pick up in other sports. Like in basketball, every six months, there's a, a star player who wants to get traded from a team. And teams are now loading up with that thought in mind. Um, we're seeing it a little bit in football with Russell Wilson potentially demanding a trade. And Tom Brady worked his way out of New England. And Aaron Rodgers, although I wouldn't recommend following anything he does right now, um, but he was potentially forcing his way out of Green Bay. Do you think this is that this kind of player empowerment movement could be something that, that kind of works its way? into the national hockey league i don't think it'll be on the same level because okay. you know ultimately because of the dangers inherent in our sport like literally any game any player could get injured and like have their career done you know i think right. that there's i mean that, that exists in football too but what football doesn't have is guaranteed long-term contracts but because of the dangers in hockey i think players that have the ability to sign long-term deals meaning the stars the guys with the power they're, they're most often going to be incentivized to sign long-term deals just to protect their earning power because they understand that their careers could end at any time. And then when you sign those contracts and in a, a flat cap environment, in a place where, look at, I think there's like 13 or 14 teams on LTIR right now. Like, like half the league has serious cap issues right now that would have trouble making trades. I think it just restricts this kind of movement all around. And so it's not that the players themselves aren't going to do it. I mean, you could argue what Jack Eichel did here 
follows kind of the trends you're seeing in those sports. I mean, this was right. someone who felt very, 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 a huge amount of conviction that he should get a certain surgical procedure that the doctors on his team didn't want to do. And, you know, he'd even asked out the previous year because he didn't want to be part of another rebuild. And I don't blame him. Like, look, his career is so short, right? Like Jack Eichel's what, seven years into an NHL career. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, he hasn't had a sniff of the playoffs and it's not because he sucked. It's because they didn't build a good team around him. And so, you know, I think that you'll see individual cases where this empowerment movement happens, but I, I don't think it's going to happen on a wide enough scale where it certainly rivals what you see in the NBA where, you know, a lot of these top players there are signing two and three year deals because, you know, the amount of money they can sign for goes up each time and they, they like the flexibility. And, you know, I'm not saying that that sport doesn't have a physical toll on the guys, but first of all, they're making so much more money that even if your career ends after a couple $50 million seasons, you're, you're, you know, your family's going to be taken care of, yeah. you know, like no one, no one in our sports making anything close to that. And, you know, also I do think there's a little bit less risk inherent, um, compared to, you know, a hockey player could blow out his knee or have, you know, head issues, lots, lots of things can happen. Um, so yeah, it's a long way of saying that, but you know, like, let's look around the league, like who could move that would be a star. Like I look at say Patrick Kane in that, that category, like, does he, I don't have the answer to this, but does he want, or is it important enough for him to play his whole career in Chicago where he's obviously got a huge legacy on the ice or is he looking as his career's coming, you know, down to the back nine here, he's still very effective. You know, his, his contract is, I think, got one more year after this one. On. Like, does he want to move? Like, that's that's a player that might move. That's a star caliber player. Right. You know, I would have said Barkov, but he just signed a long-term deal in Florida at the start of the season. You know, there's just – there's I don't see that many places where it's going to happen. I mean, maybe a, a team like Toronto, you know, for the reasons we mentioned, they, they decide to deal away from their core just to change the way they're allocating their cap dollars. But I, I don't see that many places around the league where a star player is likely to move. Yeah. Um, at least as of today. And so that's a long answer to your simple question, but, <laughs> but I, I, I think it comes back to the fact we'll see stars move under certain circumstances, but unfortunately I just don't see it being like every three months where we're having that kind of, that, that kind of trade happening. The one where you, I think you could squint and maybe see it. And look, it's the Calgary guy taking a shot at Edmonton, but if Connor McDavid ever gets sick of losing in the first round, that, that would, there would be every other team would try to make it work. And I don't think it's likely, but I could at least squint and see a scenario where that happens. Sure. You know, I think what's key there though, is to me, Connor looks like he's happy. Right. Like he finally, I shouldn't say finally, but he, he doesn't always exude joy on the ice, right? Like he's, it's it's like a fat he's so ruthlessly effective like there's just times it doesn't look like he's always having fun anyway I'm not seeing that at all right now and, and I'm not just talking about that one on four goal he scored the other night but like I think that that the Hyman signing was huge for confidence you know they, they've locked nurse up there and and you know I think they've, they've got Connor in a spot where he feels like he can win I think that they'll be aggressive before the deadline but you're right if they if things go sideways if they fall off if they don't have success you know, that's always a possibility. You know, th there are other ones. Like, I, I got to think through this, you know, like, let's see Pedersen in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, you know, he signed a short-term deal rather than a long-term deal for a second contract. You know, it hasn't started very well there this year. Like, let's see how that develops. You know, I'm not sure if he still counts as star level, but Patrick Laine, you know, kind of, you know, he's got injured in Columbus as we're talking now, but I could see him moving again just because, you know, he's in a similar spot to Matthew Kachuk where he's got a pretty high qualifying offer. He's getting closer to being an unrestricted free agent. If he isn't signing a long-term deal in, in uh, you know, with the Blue Jackets, maybe he moves on. So, look, we can, we can talk ourselves into maybe a few of these sort of higher profile, you know, recent top draft picks getting moved. But, you know, 
it's still just not the same dynamics as the other sports. Yeah. Uh, last one before I let you go. And thank you very much for being so generous with your time. Uh, better goal, the McDavid goal or the Kachuk goal? I'm going McDavid. I mean, I love the Kachuk goal. Right. Because uh, it, it's pure skill. But like there's this, I love kind of the spirit of the McDavid goal. Like no one else would regroup outside the blue line, see four sweaters cluster in the middle of the ice and be like, I'm just going to go through all those guys. Right. Yeah. Like there's like, you know, in a one goal game with three minutes left, just, you know, Kachuk, we've seen him go through the legs a couple of times now. Like he's, he's clearly got great skill with, with those sort of, it's almost sort of like more like a trick shot versus just the kind of like, Holy shit, like put the game on your shoulders, go do yeah. that thing, Connor. So for me, it's the it's the McDavid goal. I think that's the best goal of his career. I think, frankly, like they put a Lemieux statue up outside Pittsburgh's building, PPG Paints Arena, where he you know went through a, a few players and scored a goal. Like I think Edmonton could copy that, and whenever it's time to build a statue for McDavid for that goal, I mean, I think people will remember that goal after he's retired, even though it was Game Ten of the regular season and not in the Stanley Cup Final or something like that. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Uh, CJ, thank you so much, man. It's been awesome to see you kicking ass uh, post-free agency. Uh, Thanks for taking some time, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again soon. I'm sure we will, Peter. Thanks for having me, bud.